0: Good morning. Welcome to Tent 2. <laughs> um, I hope you have had a really good morning. So this is Tent 2. Um, my name's Sean, and this is my husband, Andy, and we're your hosts for this seminar. So if you have any questions, any issues at, uh, at all, please definitely let us know. Um, so your seminar speaker today will be Simon. Simon Walker. Uh, so Simon, woo. Simon is married to Kate. Uh, they have five kids. They've been living in Bristol for 13 years where they oversaw the growth of a really healthy church. But as you heard last night, they have now made an incredible, exciting move to Cardiff um, where they'll be planting a new church. Simon and woo, Simon and Kate are also an instrumental part of the SEND team in our Sure strategy. So Andy will now be introducing today's topic.
1: When we woke up in our tent this morning, Sean turned to me immediately and said, what is the kingdom of God and what's he going to be talking about? (laughs) Two very difficult questions to answer first thing in the morning when morning breath is coming your way, especially the second question. But what I can answer is actually, as someone who's done a bit of training and just been around commission a bit, this is the man that I would want to be hearing on this topic. Because as Terry was saying, he's a leader who has demonstrated to me in the way that he teaches, in the way that he prays, and just the way that he worships at commission prayer events and anything. um, I'm creepily watching sometimes, and he inspires me in such amazing ways. So Simon's going to be speaking on this topic. And I think this will be a skeleton key for us, a key that once we get this as our foundation, if we have this, it will unlock so many other things in Scripture and in our lives with God that we can press in into and explore so much of what God has for us. So, should we just pray together for Simon as he speaks to us? Father, we thank you so much that you are a good God that cares for all of us individually. Thank you that you do not stop with the individual. You have such a big plan for this whole planet, for this whole cosmos, for every single one of us, that we've been caught up in this together. I pray that Simon would powerfully expand what it is to be part of your kingdom, to know the kingdom that we've come out of, and then the glories of this kingdom that you've brought us into. Help us, I pray, by your spirit. Would you be amongst us, working in us, giving us visions and dreams, and everything that Terry said is now available in this new covenant to be blessed, and to focus ultimately on our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name I pray. Amen.
2: Wow, thank you very much for such a wonderful introduction. Uh, And here comes a wonderful cup of tea. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Thank you very, very much. I imagine... Um, When Jesus first appeared on the scene and started doing uh, public ministry, it was an incredible shock. Um, When he uh, pulled up and all of a sudden began to say the things he said and do the things he did, he thought, man, there's something new happening here. There's something incredible going on. A king had come and was starting to rule. And people were feeling the impact of it in every sphere of life. And today we're going to look a little bit at that king and what his rule was like and what the consequences of his rule is. We're going to look at the kingdom of God. But to do that, we actually need to wind back a little bit further. To get the full story of understanding the kingdom, we need to wind back a little bit further and actually go right to the beginning of our Bibles and to Genesis chapter 1. And in Genesis chapter 1, uh, we hear God speaking to uh, those that are made in his image, to our forebears, to Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, it says this, Then God said to himself, he says, Let us make mankind, or man, in our image and in our likeness, so that they may rule... Note that phrase, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that are moving on the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So humanity, male and female, made in the image of God, are made and enabled to rule after the manner of their maker or their creator. They were designed and designated with a sphere of responsibility and authority to bring God's rule, to bring uh, the expression of God's kingliness, his kingdom, kingdom to bear across the whole of creation. That was their commission. That was their release from God. But unfortunately, our forebears, and to be honest with you, if I'd have been there, I'd have done the same thing. Our forebears rebelled, yielding to an alternative agenda, yielding to temptation and giving over their right to rule and to reign, giving over their opportunity to a usurper who established a false rule and a false reign and is now designated as the prince of the power of the air, the devil. So we live in this, in this moment where there is a rebellion active across the whole of creation and across the whole of the planet. And God has a plan to overthrow that false kingdom and bring back and restore his right to rule and reign. And to, de- and to restore those who would rule and reign on his behalf and alongside him. And it's into that context that we need to understand what we call the kingdom of God. So we're going to begin by breaking in and looking in Mark chapter 1. And I want us to turn to Mark chapter 1 and just to read and see what it was like what what was it like when jesus first appeared on the on planet earth and mark kind of captures it because he gives us the, the the energy if you like of what it was going to be like so we're going to read a substantial part of mark chapter 1 and then rather than for me to do a a kind of systematic explanation of the kingdom of God. I'm going to do a a more of a biblical narrative. I'm going to look at the narrative of this chapter to help us understand the kingdom and then draw out some learnings from it and try and apply it and then try and answer some questions about what the kingdom of God is today. So John chapter 1, the beginning, sorry, Mark chapter 1, forgive me. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice Of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole of the Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the river Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt round his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message After me comes. The one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I will baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And her voice from heaven, you are my son who I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with wild animals and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee Proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God come near has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. I will make you fishers of men, some of the other translations. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his son John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat, and the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as them who one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an impure or evil spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus Nazareth? How do you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently, and he came out of him with a shriek. The people were all amazed. And they asked one another, What is this? A new teaching, and with authority. He gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News! "'About him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. "'As soon as they left the synagogue, "'they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. "'Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. "'They immediately told Jesus about her. "'So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. "'The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. "'That evening after sunset, "'the people brought to Jesus all who were ill and demon-possessed. "'The whole town gathered at the door.' And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place to pray. Sam and his companions went to look for him. When they found him, they exclaimed, "'Everyone's looking for you.' Jesus replied, "'Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. "'This is why I have come.' So he travel throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. It's a great summary of a ministry, isn't he? Preaching and driving out demons. So we find here that Mark opens up his gospel with the explosive arrival of Jesus. We hear that there's a, an announcement. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Actually, that was also, Matthew tells us in Matthew 3 verse 2, was John's message. So John as a forerunner prepares the way for this great one who's come. And it tells us that Jesus was first of all anointed by the Spirit. The Spirit of God came upon him and rushed upon him. Now, we call Jesus, Jesus Christ. The word Christ is a Greek word which means anointed. The Hebrew word is Messiah. It means the same thing. It means anointed one. Christ isn't Jesus' surname. It wasn't Mary Christ and Joseph Christ and Jesus Christ. It's Jesus was Christ and he was anointed. So it describes what happened to him. So the Holy Spirit comes on him. He's empowered and anointed by the Spirit. And he is endorsed from heaven. You are my son, who I love. So he is secure. He knows who he is. And he has an anointing from God. And the the writer Mark wants us to understand this. That the Spirit of God comes on Jesus and Jesus is affirmed as the Son of God. And from that position, he goes to war. He goes into the battle that Adam and Eve went into, who were also affirmed, who were also from God, but not the same, of course. But he goes into that battle and he goes to war. And this time he wins. Where Adam and Eve lost, Jesus wins, and he goes into battle, and he defeats temptation. And he has those forty days that, as we have a longer uh, recording of in Matthew's gospel. And then, out of that victory moment, Jesus steps into the public arena, and, jo- and Mark helpfully records for us a summary of his teaching in Mark chapter one verse four. Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming, "The time is fulfilled. The times are now here. It's happening." The kingdom of God is imminent, it's here, it's at at hand. Turn your lives around, repent, believe this good news. And Jesus makes an announcement. Marks wants us to see that this is the announcement. What is about to happen is all that Jesus is teaching and doing and saying is all this. It's this immediate, imminent sense of God's here. The king's here. Turn your life around. The invasion has begun. It's like D-Day. It's like the Normandy beaches. We're hitting the beaches. God's invading. Watch out. Turn around. Get in on the program. Repent and believe. What's going to happen next? We begin to see out of this flows what it means for a king to come and rule and reign. So what does he do? First thing he does, what does a king do? He rules over people. So he calls disciples. He starts with people. He calls a bunch of people to follow him. We see these early disciples being brought to him. The message of the kingdom produces believers, followers, subjects of the king and he calls them to follow him. They leave their nets immediately to follow him. They believe this good news. He says, verse 21 and 22, the people were amazed at his teaching because he was one who taught with authority, not as the teacher of the law. There was news. There was things to say. There were words. This king had words. This king has things to say. He teaches he brings truth to us, but he also does more than that. There's more than words there's works of power twenty three to twenty seven He begins to confront evil a demon possession of people. people are troubled and traumatized by evil and the the the, the 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 demonic spirits start to cry out as Jesus confronts them they're saying to him. Jesus said, We know who you are. What do you want with us? Jesus other? Have you come to destroy us? They say. Well, you know what? The answer is yes. I have come to destroy you. I have come to destroy your works. I have come to set people free. I have come and I am a king and I am at war. And he comes to destroy the works of the devil. And there's deliverance and freedom. And people are amazed. What is this? Verse 27, they say. A new teaching. And with authority, he gives orders to impure spirits and they obey And Please note this, that the hearers of the day linked the words and the works as one thing. It's a teaching with authority. This guy, he does what he says and says what he does. That they saw there's a link between the ability to teach the truth and the ability to drive out demons. And Jesus, this, authority, this, this teaching's got some clout. They deliver, works. It works. does what it says on the tin. We get to do the stuff. The stuff's happening all around us. Verses 29 to 34, there's an extensive amount of physical healing. There's a release from various ailments. Not just one off, but the whole town gathers. They come, bring everybody they know is poorly, and Jesus is healing them. They're seeing freedom. They're seeing healing. They're seeing breakthrough. And then we see Jesus. This is all the king at work. Verse 35 to 37. What does Jesus do? Early in the morning, he's up. He's praying. Father, what's the plan for the day? I only want to do what you're doing. John recalls Jesus saying, I only do what I see the Father doing. You want to know what the Father in heaven's like? Look at the life of Jesus. I'm doing what you call me to do. He's up early. Oh, I'm his son. I'm anointed. You can imagine him praying, Our Father in heaven, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done how jesus prayed it's how he taught us to pray how's the kingdom coming today how's your will being done today how do i bring heaven to earth today father let your kingdom come let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven gets instructions next town we're on the move son town to the next town the 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 fledgling apostles come jesus everybody wants you back we want a second session sorry no we're going to the next town this is why i've come we take this message to the next town jesus is thinking we'll go again the kingdom keeps going, the kingdom keeps expanding, the kingdom keeps moving. So we see the king comes. Jesus is starting for f- to fulfill the prophecies about him. The prophecies that were, uh, in, for example, in Isaiah that uh, Luke quotes in, uh, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty for the captives and recovery of sight for the blind. So set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In Luke's expanded version of the entry of Jesus, he records Jesus quoting that as his mandate, as his, his operation mandate. This is what I am here to do. I am anointed to bring this kind of kingdom. I am this kind of king. So creation starts to be made again. New creation invades old creation. And we see in the midst of a fallen world, a restoring of creation. The king starts to rule. Hearts, lives, bodies are being made new, are being mended and repaired. Evil is being delivered out. And a new king comes to bring his rule. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is a place where a king exercises his rule, where Jesus exercises his rule. It's not like the kingdom of Elizabeth II, which is defined by borders. It's not defined by a place. You can't say the kingdom of God has these sort of coordinates. You can't put it in your sat-nav and say it's going to take three hours and ten minutes that way on the sat-nav to get to the kingdom of God. You can't define it in that way. The kingdom of God is the place where the king is ruling and reigning. It's the experience of that dynamic rule in individuals' lives and through those individuals displaying what the king is like. um, I've had the privilege over the years to travel to a number of places. And um, I was once in Delhi... Uh, and I uh, for whatever reason found myself in the home of uh, a diplomat a british diplomat in delhi uh, and i had been travelling in india for i think around a week by then and through various contacts i'd uh, ended up g- was travelling through delhi to go uh, up into the punjab Uh, And we had a stopover in in Delhi and um, we went to this English diplomat's home and um, uh, he was working um, for an overseas development agency. Uh, And we entered into the home and it was the most bizarre cross-cultural experience I think I've almost ever had. There's one or two that compete with it, but uh, I walk into this place, and I have an Indian friend with me who, who's uh, from a, a poorer part of the Indian community. Uh, I had little experience of the West. And we go into this home, and uh, we sit down at an English dining table, and we eat an English lunch, which is quiche from, I think, Marks and Spencer's. It must have been a Marks and Spencer's little shop within the diplomatic area. And we eat the most quintessential English lunch and discuss the state of edu- educational psychology uh, amongst English primary schools uh, with another dinner guest there. And I'm doing this in the midst of India. I'm thinking, this is a shock. I am living in, I'm in an English, I feel like I'm in a, a pocket of England in the midst of the, of the metropolis of Delhi in the magnificent nation of India. It was like, I'm, uh, this is strange, it's like I've, I'm in England in India. The kingdom of God is like being in heaven on earth. That you sh- it's, there should be no more closer place to heaven than where you see the King ruling. It's an expression of the kingdom on earth. It's 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 it's, it's the future in the present. It's the already co- second coming of Jesus in the now. That's what we mean when we think of of the kingdom of God. So we need to just begin to begin to put together an understanding of when Jesus came. He says I've come to rule and reign? I'm bringing the rule of God. He's back in town. Repent. Turn round. Believe. Watch what the King's like. And he starts to do some amazing things. Now, as you're probably aware, Jesus didn't walk into a world that there was a blank canvas. Excuse me. Um, There was lots going on already. There was lots of expectations. As Terry talked about tonight, there were people who were collaborating with the Romans like Matthew and the people that were uh, waging some sort of fourth-column warfare in, in the forms of sort of uh, low-level terrorism, the zealots. Uh, there was all sorts of stories going on, and that background actually interplays with the language and the expectations of what's going on in our New Testament. It's important we understand a little bit of, of, a, 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 of the background that Jesus invades against. If you go back to the Jewish community, the high-water mark of the story of Israel was when David was king. At that time, Israel was top of the pile. They were the the primary nation. They were the regional superpower. They had the strongest army. God was with them and they knew it and they saw through David the establishment of a kingdom that was very strong and gaining strength. But really, after David's death, Certainly in the second half of Solomon's reign, things started to unravel. Ultimately, Israel uh, separates into two halves, Israel and Judah and they begin to decline to a point where they are defeated and slowly but surely first the northern kingdom israel then the southern kingdom judah uh, is destroyed and taken into captivity uh, and within that that time there's a there's an emerging sort of hope a future day when a, a, a king like david will appear and will uh, and will restore the fortunes and that hope really uh, had a high point with a leader called zerubbabel and a prophet called Haggai and the people around them, Ezra and Nehemiah, um, they would restore the fortunes of Israel again but it never really reached its fulfillment, and they existed as really as a, a, a country within a wider empire, and never really reached any great heights. Uh, and things again just settled, uh, and we enter out of the Old Testament into a, a period of, of growing oppression, of growing superpowers, Syrians, Babylonians, Medes, Persians, uh, the Greeks, the Romans, uh, eventually. these emerging powers of Israel struggling in it. Will we ever become a kingdom again? And there was the odd moment, as the Maccabean Revolt. Uh, a couple hundred years or so before Jesus when uh, a guy called Maccabees uh, had a, a brief period where uh, Israel asserted its independence and, and Jerusalem became a free capital for a while and then they were mightily and massively crushed. So there's a longing for a king a bit like David to come. And alongside that, they, uh, the, some people got so devastated that the language started to change. They started to talk about the last days and uh, there was a, a massive persecution under a leader called Antioch Epiphanes who persecuted the Jewish people and um, destroyed lots of Jerusalem. Uh, and they were so desperate, they talked about an era where God would come and would destroy the enemies and usher in his kingdom and would deliver them from uh, evil powers. So there was this kind of expectation. There were lots of Messiah-type figures around when Jesus was around. Which one of these would be the revolutionary leader which would now overthrow the Romans and reassert our rights? This sort of, um, you know, first century, uh, late end of B.C. period Zionism, if you like. And it was this kind of, oh, what's going to happen? Will it be, who will it be? And that's why Jesus gets unused, he's confusing to them. And you get unusual comments. So, for example, the feeding of the 5,000 in John's Gospel, it says this, after the people saw the sign performed by Jesus, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So Jesus has got potentially an army of 5,000 people now. And you think, is this the moment? Are we going to rush, you know, you've just fed us, we've got the, the supply chains in place, you seem to be able to do like Moses did, you know, food from nowhere. Let's go and take Jerusalem. You know, the, did you notice that Peter had a sword in the garden at the end? He's got a sword, we'll chop off an ear, you know, Peter's still not quite sure. So there's that kind of exception. Acts 1 verse 6, after the resurrection... It says this, they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So even after Jesus' death and resurrection, some of the early apostles are thinking, church planting or war? What do you think, Jesus? You see, there's that kind of sort of understanding what, what's really going on. And yet Jesus was very confused because Jesus said, this is, this is the sort of thing Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. You've heard it said, uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies And pray for those who persecute you. You know Jesus told a story, if someone asked you to carry their load for a mile, carry it too. Well a Roman soldier would typically ask a Jew, which was an insulting thing, because Jews believe they shouldn't carry things like that. He'd say, oi, carry my pack. And Jesus would say, if the Roman soldier says, oi, carry my pack for a mile, carry it too. It's not the revolution we're waiting for. That's not the kind of kingdom we want, Jesus. We want to fight. So, Jesus is very confusing. He's, he's kind of bringing in a kingdom, but it's not the one they're expecting. And, and is it here or isn't it here? And it was. It, it, so, so, you get the things like Jesus says, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is imminent, it's at hand, repent and believe. So, it's, it's right amongst us. He said, Luke 11, verse 20, but if it is by the, the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Oh, it's here. Luke seventeen twenty one. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. Behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you, Jesus said. It's here now. But Then he also said, for I tell you, that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Oh, it's coming. So Jesus said, it's here. But then he says, it's coming. Luke 21, verse 31. So also, when you see these things take place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. It's not here, it's near. So it's confusing. There's like a confusing language even that Jesus used about the kingdom. Is it here or is it to come? What's the answer? Well, the answer is actually both. So people, in trying to capture this, say we're living in the already, the now, and the not yet. Another person said, said it this way, we're living in the presence of the future. That God has inaugurated, he started the kingdom, but he's not fully consummated the kingdom. The best illustration I heard um, was one that John Wimber used to use, and he talked about the, uh, the battle for Europe in the Second World War. Uh, he said, on D-Day, the kingdom came, on V-E Day, Victory in Europe Day, the kingdom was consummated. Between D-Day and V-Day, once the bridgehead had been established on the Normandy beaches, we knew the outcome. It was just a matter of time. There was going to be a lot of fighting, a lot of war, a lot of loss of life. Important to get the plans right, but essentially the bridgehead was established we are going to win but more people died between d day and v day than any part of the war but the victory was assured d day was the cross and resurrection of jesus v day is the second coming of jesus we live in between those two times so we live with the old kingdom around and the new kingdom invading we live in this strange period of the sick being healed but not everyone being healed People getting saved, but not everyone getting saved. The kingdom of God coming, but not being fully here. We live in that fight. That's the period of history we are in. And sometimes when you look at the prophets, because prophets aren't very good with timing, you found that? They tend to sometimes join the two together. So even, even, even Luke says, you know, he'll baptize you with the spirit and with fire. You know, well, sometimes I think spirit, fire, is that two events? First, baptism, spirit. Second, baptism, fire, judgment. My pet. Heresy. Um, uh, <laughs> so we live with this idea of an inaugurated or a beginning. So Theologians call it an inaugurated eschatology. The, the second coming, the last days have begun, but they haven't yet finished. So God has begun his, his, the last days we are in, but they are not fully reached the end of time. We live in this period of time between the first and the second coming of Christ. So... Let's just summarize where we've got to in our first half now. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah so with this? Yeah. yeah, okay, great, okay. So let's summarize what we've got. The kingdom of God is, is where Jesus is exercising his right to rule. The kingdom of God is central to the ministry of Jesus and the early apostles. Jesus said this, The gospel of the kingdom is preached in the whole world as a testament to all nations. Then the end will come. So the kingdom of God is key to the history of humanity and history of the planet. There are over a hundred references to the kingdom of God in the first three Gospels. Jesus' summary at the end uh, in his post-resurrection period is that he taught the gospel, taught the kingdom to those early apostles. And the, the, the kingdom continues to be referenced throughout the book of Acts. Book Acts 8, verse 12. When they believed philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of god and the name of jesus christ they were baptized so the early evangelist message is summarized as the good news of the kingdom acts 19 verse 8 paul was about paul entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly reasoning persuaded them about the kingdom of god from morning till evening acts 28 verse 23 he expounded to them testifying to the kingdom of god so Central to the apostles' teaching was the kingdom of God. It was top priority. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. So the, the, the kingdom of God is a top priority. The teaching of the kingdom. Now just go back. What Jesus said and did was the kingdom. That what his 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 teaching, his words, and his works and his wonders were summarized as his teaching of the kingdom. It was amazing. And that's what the apostles went on to do. They taught about Jesus and did the things that he did. So the first thing we've learned is the, the centrality and priority of the kingdom. The second thing we need to think about is the church and the kingdom. Where does the church and the kingdom fit together? Now, I've got to be honest with you here. Um, uh, as I've been preparing these notes, I, I've had to rethink a little bit of my own approach on this subject. Um, You'll have heard you may have heard it said, uh, "We're called to, to uh, bring the kingdom, and Jesus builds the church." Uh, you may have heard things like that said, and I, I must uh, confess to you that I disagree with that. Um, and I've been thinking quite a bit about what, 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 uh, what this is all about. You see, um, if you go back to the background, when Jesus announced there's a kingdom here. What would have been in the minds of those that he spoke about? Well, the context of the Old Testament, the context of which Jesus was speaking, a kingdom was always about a king and his people. The idea that a king had a people that he ruled and reigned over, that your kingdom will last for generations, the psalm said. So the kings of Israel had a kingdom. Even Herod was described uh, as a king by Josephus and other writers. And in that context, it was about a people. So Jesus, when he's addressing the issue of the kingdom, does talk about a people. The first thing that Mark records for us is that he called people to be his subjects. John puts it this way, John 3, verse 3, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So the new birth is about new birth into the kingdom. Paul writes this, He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Colossians 1 verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 11. For you now know like a father has his children we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So clearly the people of God and the kingdom of God are linked in some way here. If you go to the book of Revelation, look at the songs of celebration in the book of Revelation. Revelation 5 verse 9. They sang a new song, worthy you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people and nation. And you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign forever. So we see that the language of the New Testament associates the church, those who are saved in Christ, as an expression or a part or subjects of a king, the kingdom of God. So we can't divorce the kingdom of God and the church. Now, when Jesus was teaching, well, the interesting place, because he didn't talk, the, the word church wasn't often on his lips. Although his life demonstrated it, 12 apostles representing the 12 tribes, a people for Jesus as uh, as a renewed Israel. So the apostles represent a new Israel, a renewed Israel, a better, a fulfilled Israel that would ultimately include all the peoples of the world. So it's all about a people in that sense. But Jesus, when he talked about the church in Matthew 16, he says this in Matthew 16, verse 18. I tell you to Peter, you're Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the church is is set up against the kingdom of the devil. And he says this in verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So the, there's a link between the building of the church and the authority of the church to extend the kingdom. And it seems that in Jesus' mind at this moment, he's linking the activity of the church and its authority to extend the kingdom as one and the same thing. So he is going to build the church through giving the authority of the kingdom to his church, to the church that he's inaugurating there in the apostles, and that is a joining together of those two concepts, rather a separating of them. So to say they are identical is insufficient, but to say there's significant overlap is accurate. So I will go and start to say that the church is the primary fruit of the king's rule and the primary mechanism of that rule coming. Does that make sense? The church is the primary fruit of the king's rule. The primary thing that the king causes to happen is a people after himself. He brings a people forth that are his. And the primary way that the king extends that rule is through that people. So we... It's like Terry talked about. We, the, the, the God has a mission, and the church is the way He's doing that mission. But the mission of God is to have a people, and the people of God have the mission of God. So it's interesting. The day I became a believer, I went from being a target of the mission to uh, the person doing the mission. Does that make sense? That I joined, I switched sides in that moment, the mo- and, and that's what the, ch- the church. When, when God's pursuing you through the gospel preached through the people of God. Once, you, once he gets you, you become part of the people that are doing the pursuing. You switch sides automatically. That's what happens. So the, so the church is the fruit of the king's rule and the way the king extends his rule. So we, we come as a people to declare he's king. Come join us to declare he's king. Let's, we'll show you what the king's like. Heal the sick. Tell us how to be free from, we'll teach you about freedom. We'll teach you what God's like. We'll cast out demons. We'll, we'll, we'll lay hands. We'll, we'll, we'll deal with injustice. We'll feed the poor. We'll do all the stuff that Jesus did. Because the, his message was his words and his works and his wonders. All that the king did with the words he said, blessed are, and be healed, and demon come out. And no religious person, you will not put that burden on the poor. That's what Jesus did. That's the king rulings. That's what the church now is called to do. Hence, we have that description in 2 Corinthians that we are ambassadors of Christ. I went into mini England in a diplomat's home in India. I was touching the fringes of the ambassadorial work of the British in India. I was very confused. Where was I? When we touch the church, we should be touching heaven on earth. We should be touching the place where the king rules and reigns. And through the people of God, not only gathered, but I think probably primarily scattered, or at least equally scattered, the king brings his rule and reign. So when you, as an ambassador, a representative of Jesus, walk into a room, you should ask yourself, hmm, what does the king want to do here? How will the kingdom of God come here because I'm here? I am a representative of King Jesus. I'm a means. I am the only God-given means. Me as the people of God are the God-given means of the kingdom of God coming. I walk into a classroom. I walk into Aldi. I I walk in uh, to uh, wherever it might be. I I I am a divine appointment. I am an ambassador of the king. What does Jesus want to do here? Let's get another way. If Jesus walked into Aldi, what would he do? Go and do that. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So whenever you see a bit of earth that doesn't look like heaven, your job is to change it, to make it more like heaven. Let the kingdom come. Let God's will be done. So the kingdom of God becomes dynamic. It's not simply, and that's why some people say it's not the church because it seems like it's static. No, the church is never meant to be static. It's a misunderstanding of the church. That's the problem. Let's correct the standing of the church. The church is the, is, the, is the dynamic people of God bringing the rule of the king to bear on the earth and worshipping and honouring him in the process. So we've only really got two things to do on the earth, worship him and do his stuff. That's it. Everything else is just to facilitate doing that. So we are mandated to do it. Now, I'm way off my notes, but this is fun. Um, <laughs> Quick summaries. The church then carries the message of the kingdom. The church carries the keys to accessing the kingdom. The church prays in the kingdom. And in Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus says this: You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses. Witnesses of what? I am the raised king. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So Jesus says, You will receive power, and then you will you'll be witnesses to my rule as the risen king. Now What happened to Jesus? Jesus received power. Jesus was anointed, Christed, Messiahed, baptized by the Holy Spirit. And that empowered him to fight the devil and to advance the kingdom. Jesus said, you will receive power. You will, re- you will be anointed. You will be the body that's anointed. Paul calls it the body of Christ. When you read Christ, the body of Christ, what do you read? The body of anointed. You are the body of the anointed to bring the rule of the king in the same way he brought his rule. So what was his rule characterized by? Calling disciples, teaching the truth, healing the sick, casting out demons, facing opposition, suffering... Prophesying, you are Peter. Breakthrough, gathering crowds, opposition, healing the sick, teaching the truth. All that happened to Jesus as the anointed happens to the church as the anointed. And we live between the times. So, yes, there are challenges. Yes, there is opposition. Yes, there is paradox. But we don't say, oh, well, it's not all happened yet. No, Jesus kept pressing forward, he kept moving, keep moving forward. We keep seeking to advance the kingdom under the anointing that he has given us. So as it was said of Jesus, let it be said of us, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty of the captives, recovery of sight for the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We talk about vision statements. That's the church's vision statement. That's our vision statement. That's what we're called to do. So we are called to participate in bringing the kingdom of God and growing our own abilities to extend that kingdom. Jesus trained his disciples. They did a little bit of crowd control initially. Sit in groups of 50. Take their food out. I'm not sure where the miracle happened. Have you ever wondered that, the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000? Loaves and fishes. Jesus prayed. Did he give it to the disciples in little bits and it multiplied in their hands? Did it multiply in Jesus' hands? I don't know. But they got involved in the miracles. They were involved in it. And then he sent them out, 12 initially in pairs. Go wherever you go and teach the kingdom and heal the sick. Go to the houses that welcome you. And then he sends out the 72 and he gets them to do the same. He's extending. It's a whole discipleship training program. And he's training them to teach and to do. He's training them to, 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 with words and works and wonders. They get to do the stuff and that's what happens later. That's what happened in the early church. They do exactly the same thing. So we are called to participate and to get better at it in the right sense by faith and learning and pursuing God and praying your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus trained his disciples through. We're very happy with doing a training program to turn a, a preacher into a good preacher or, 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 or whatever. But what about a training program to get us living demons? Jesus did that. We have... To live with positive faith in the paradox of D-Day to V-E-Day. We live in the paradox of the invading king that the kingdom isn't fully come. The devil isn't fully overthrown. There's a war on. We don't see everybody healed. We don't see everybody saved. But we mustn't use the excuse of, well, we're not quite all, Jesus hasn't fully come, to back off pursuing the advance of the kingdom we are called to keep pursuing the advance of the kingdom and live with the tension of that so therefore we need to show extra special honor to those that are struggling living in the or, in the not yet when we're pursuing the already so we need to show honor how can i pray for you i know you're blind but how can i pray for you we need to show honor in those contexts but we need to keep pursuing biblical expectations. Let's restore the church to a biblical level of breakthrough rather than be happy with something that's less than. So we keep pursuing more. We keep pursuing the kingdom and and, and so that we see it constantly knowing we're going to live in this strange tension of the already and the not yet. But we need to learn to live in this overlapping of the two ages. We're living with the advance of the power of the kingdom and resistance of the age we are in. We need to live with a dependency on God as ambassadors with faith, honoring and bringing dignity to all those that we serve by bringing the love of Jesus to them in every way we can. So let me encourage you to be men and women who tell stories of the king and tell stories of his kingdom coming. Let's have a healthy atmosphere where we're seeking to Pursue the coming of the king, to take risks. Wheelchairs are only emptied by those who pray for people in them. Governments are only changed by those who stand for elections to change things. So the kingdom of God is a dynamic coming of God's rule to have a people who will bring his rule. Jesus came, anointed by the Spirit, invading I'm coming to take back mine. And I will overthrow everything that isn't the way I want it to be. Come and follow me. Stop living lives that are away from God. Repent, turn and believe this great news. I want to set you free. Become my subjects and I'll bless you. I oppose evil. I oppose sickness. I'm against it. I'm breaking through. Jesus comes bringing creation back into order. The Lord is here, the King is here, and he summons his creation back into order. He makes it new again. He doesn't do it as a despot. He does it as a loving, suffering servant. He does it as one who comes and lays down his life. One who comes with compassion that will take the time to go to a sick woman in her bed, Peter's mother-in-law, and pray for her that she will be healed has time for the outcast and the widow. That so He could easily say to the leper, be healed and point his finger. But in order to restore the leper back into the community, he comes and touches the leper. Where in, the, in the old ways, if you were touched by a leper, you got, you got unclean. Now, when Jesus touches a leper, the leper becomes clean. It's a totally new kingdom. It's with authority and power. And it's invading. And we're now called to be subjects of that king and bring his kingdom. So we come under his authority and we rule on his behalf. Just like God intended his humanity to be. Made in his image, given a rule and authority in Genesis chapter 1. Jesus came to restore humanity to God's original intention. To rule on his behalf on this planet. We live between this strange period of time where... The overthrow of Jesus' rule, the, the fall still is here, but there's a king invading. We live in this in-between moments. and We are those called to bring heaven to earth to represent Jesus, the coming of the kingdom. We're to do the works. We're to share the words. We're to face the challenges and the hostility. We're to see the wonders. We're to pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And it's for every one of us. Because we are the body of Christ. We are the body of those anointed to do the work that Jesus did. We have been Christed. Anointed by the Spirit. For the words, the works, the wonders and the suffering. We are to do that all of us. Wherever we live, whatever our, our background, whatever has been through our lives. We carry the same anointing. It's been placed on the church to be the body of Christ. Jesus, use spiritual gifts. Healing to use those spiritual gifts as well as like the tools of our trade, the things equip us to do the works of Jesus. So why don't we do that? Are you up for that? Think that's a good idea? Yeah? Let's stand, shall we? Let's stand. Just be before the Lord, please. Holy Spirit, I pray you would uh, please come amongst us now. I pray you would move in power amongst us now, Holy Spirit. we we'll just look to you, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Oh, thank you. There's a number of things that I think God wants to do. But The first thing I I sense he wants to do is to restore your ambassadorial mandate. A number of you have, for whatever reason, have got confused or put down your ambassadorial mandate. That you have been given the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth, we bind on earth. Whatever you loosen heaven, we're loose in heaven. you have been given authority. An ambassadorial mandate. Now release it again, Lord, I pray. Restore that again, I pray. Whoa, Lord. Let your kingdom come, please, Lord, here. Thank you, Lord. Oh, come on, Lord. Do more, please, I pray. Restore that ambassadorial mandate, that anointing to bring the kingdom. Thank you, Lord. I, I just wonder if there's a few people that if you feel you've got a burden you want to pray or or you there's something you feel like there's a prophecy you want to bring it might be for somebody else in the room or just for us all to hear but i'm just i just wonder if there's some things that people need to articulate out in prayer
3: uh. just sense uh, uh, maybe one or two people here this morning i, I just got this picture of of <coughs> possibly what it was like um, for the king in those days, not great um, riding through crowds with with, um, outriders and wide open spaces, but just how Jesus might have gone through the crowd and people making a path ahead of him. And I just saw this, um, some of us walking through a crowd and and a path being made. And I just felt God saying there's some of you are trying to, that he's going to use to bring the kingdom, and he will make a way through the obstacles, through the the, the difficulties that lie in front of you, through the people, particularly people who might be stopping you or trying to prevent you from, from bringing the kingdom. God's saying, I'll make a way for you through the crowd, that you can break through and take his kingdom through, and that these people will... Um, have to step out of the way because the authority of god is on you to bring his kingdom um, to to the world and to the place that you 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 sense god's calling you to he's going to remove the obstacles because he is king and he is lord and he goes before you making a way for you thank you lord
0: so um i got a different picture but uh, i hope this will be helpful to us all a picture of um, these little hats you get at parties, especially kids' parties, that you just put on the top of your head, and they feel a bit awkward with a bit of elastic around here, and they look a bit funny, but I feel the Lord's saying, I've got a hat for you each, put it on, don't take it off because it feels awkward. Don't take it off because it maybe looks a bit silly. Go out into the world with it and it will grow. That hat will grow and grow and grow and you will be ambassadors for God because you've kept it on. Don't just hear what Simon said today and go, that's brilliant, and then go out of here without your hat. Take your hat with you, put it on, keep it on because it will grow and you will become an ambassador the more you step forward. Maybe looking a little bit silly, maybe feeling a little bit silly. So I pray for everybody here today. You will take your hat, put it on, keep it on, and it will grow, and you will grow in your ambassadorship. In Jesus' name. Thank you. Let's
2: just stay in the presence of God. Come. He wants to do more. Pour your Spirit out on us, Lord, I pray. Come, Holy Spirit.
3: I just want to totally accept that last word um, that was brought about the ambassador outfit. Um, I totally feel in that place right now where I just feel God's been giving me messages to speak into people's lives and it feels the most awkward uncomfortable thing it's almost like I hate it but at the same time I know and believe it's of God but especially when that person sits opposite you with a totally poker face and you're not getting anything from them you don't know but it's just I totally agree it's like that party hat you've just got to push through and I'm so excited that the word is that as you do this as you keep it on as you keep on doing it you will you are growing in your ambassadorship and I just I'm so grateful for that God and yeah we just release that here in Jesus name. Amen. I feel the Lord is saying that there are people who have been walking around, bowed down, heads to the ground, because it's safer. Because it's safer, so you tell yourself.
2: But the Lord is the lifter of our heads. He wants to lift your head. He wants to restore to you the sense of who he has made you. So lift your heads and look where you can. I feel like for some, for people who are in that situation, actually, it's your next door neighbour that is as far as you can see for now. But as you step out to them, he will lift your head further
3: and further. You will see further, and he will take you further
0: than you have ever had faith to go before. We just had the uh, wonderful passage from Isaiah 61 about jesus ministry of redemption and i believe the lord's saying to us don't be anxious about the mess that you see around you because i am passionate about redeeming all of these things that you see don't be broken don't be discouraged because i am doing my redeeming work through you Thank you, Lord. Amen.
1: This uh, ministry, prayer ministry lanyard, does something funny to you. It suddenly makes you think, oh, I can pray for someone but that's rubbish. (laughs) On a Sunday morning, don't ever disqualify yourself from being able to pray for someone. I know there's wisdom in what the eldership might do of who prays for who, but actually in life group settings, never disqualify yourself from sharing a prophetic word or praying for someone because you don't have much experience. It comes from doing those first few steps. And like Simon said, we get better. We mess up. I mess up endless times. I shouldn't be wearing this. I shouldn't have been given it in the first place if they knew me. But we don't have to be wearing this on a Sunday, on a Wednesday, wherever you meet up with people, or in your workplace. You don't have to be in church to be able to pray for someone who has an injury. In your workplace, someone says, oh, I'm ill. Jesus is king there as well. He has authority there. And you can instigate his reign in your workplace as well. So have such confidence in that because of the Holy Spirit on you. Okay, so let's, uh, let's, let's do this
2: a little bit more practically. Who um, here has some sort of uh, either physical or mental health ailment at the moment that you carry uh, in your person? Who's, who would require a breakthrough from God in a measure of uh, some sort of healing in some way? Would you put your hand in the air? Okay, so if you keep your hands up, folks. Now, everybody else, what we've just heard, what I've taught, we get to do it. You're not looking for one person with the anointings on the church, not on any, on any person that carries it all. It's, shed, it's distributed across us all as the body of Christ. So I'd like you now to go and gather around the people with their hands in the air. Uh, if they're happy, if you're not happy, then, then please say. And, in, and ask God to heal. And you don't no mamby-pamby if it's God's will praying, okay? Just bring authority. Sickness go in Jesus' name. Invite the Holy Spirit to minister, sickness going Just his name. You can tell the person what the ailment is, but they don't need a medical diagnosis. They need to know my back hurts or my heart's a bit funny. Don't need a medical diagnosis, just need to know where we're praying. If it's appropriate, lay hands on that part of the body, command healing. Thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus, I pray now for healing in each mind or body represented here that is asking for it now in Jesus' name. Please bring healing, I pray, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus heals you. The Lord Jesus heals you. Um, uh, Thank you for being here. I hope you found it helpful. I look forward to seeing you around the site.